So we need to have another meeting about Judgment Day. A meeting about Judgment Day. We should talk about Judgment Day at the meeting. It's really it's the, the meeting Let's Kill about Peter com- Committee. It's the Let's Kill Peter Committee Judgment Day meeting. Why don't? By the way, Judgment Day. <laughs> Troy and Tom just need to go to this meeting and go, which of you did it? For the children, Judgment Day will go forward. For the children? <laughs> <laughs> it's the Apocalypse Day. Welcome to Midsummer Maniacs. Hey, Maniacs. Episode 12. Which is season three, episode three. Judgment Day. And as a reminder, if your kids watch this show, they can handle the podcast. But if they can't handle the show and all of its pitchforks. They can't handle the podcast. They can't handle the podcast. Before we uh, begin, I wanted to do a shout out to one of our listeners who said they listened to us while they were working out, which I was absolutely bewildered by who would want to work out to my voice i i don't know but you go yes do one more round you can do it go we believe in you absolutely (laughs) we're sitting here on our butts so you go you go (laughs) so the episode was filmed in july and august of 99 broadcast the 29th of January 2000, so a week after the last episode was on. And it has 9.65 million viewers, so we're back to where we were before in terms of viewership. And we've got the old crew as far as director and writer, right? Yes, Jeremy Silberston and Anthony Horowitz. Horowitz is back, and so Midsummer is back. Back to form, back to what I think is... The quintessential midsummer with crazy people and nutsy things happening, and the plot moves really fast, and there's all kinds of stuff going on. There is no fat in this episode. It is just bang, bang, bang. And I got to tell you, this cold opening is like a horror movie, but above and beyond that, this might be the best filmed cold opening that we have. It's really, really good. So we have a young couple. We're in the 50s. Mommy and Daddy. The Westons, they're going out for dinner to celebrate, and their daughter is bratacular and doesn't want them to go. She is so annoying. Like, already, I'm like, oh, gosh, bratty kid. Like, they should have some luggage in the trunk and go away for (laughs) a while longer. Because who's there to take care of Annabelle while they're gone? Out of the shadow steps, Mrs. Bundy. No, wait, it's not Mrs. Bundy. It's Mrs. Foster. But it sure looks like Mrs. Bundy. Played by Mrs. Bundy. Played by Marlene Sidaway. Is Mrs. Bundy a time traveler? She is. Because she's older, but this is before. So she's in four (laughs) episodes. She's in the pilot. Right, where she she works on the helpline. She's in Written in Blood. As Mrs. Bundy. She's in the one with the crazy priest, (laughs) Death's Shadow. Yes. It's Death something. Death something. It's bloody death in disguise shadow playing cricket. Exactly. Because this is Judgment Day. Judgment Day. You're a naughty child. Oh, my gosh. I'm just, uh, she's just bad. She just throws her dinner on the floor. Mm-mm-mm-mm. And those plates are expensive, man. Yeah, they are. So the couple, um, the Westons, who are Ruth and Michael Weston, this is, <laughs> this is fun. They are the same two actors who also play the couple in The House in the Woods. Oh. Which is a 2005 episode. The ones that 
get killed? Yeah. That's weird. Yeah, they come back for, like, they're a doomed couple, those two. And they're not in a relationship, the two, the actors are not, as nearly as I could find. They're not, like, an actual couple. But, yeah, they... Are they behind-the-scenes people, too? Like, are Not they, that I could oh, tell. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah, so. because he, he also, um, uh, Richard Trinder is his name, and her name is uh, Carolyn Faber. Richard Trinder's other big credit is that he plays a Death Eater in Order of the Phoenix. Oh, okay. Wait, so another but, Harry Potter crossover. But aren't Death Eaters those big, gray, cloudy things? Yeah, they don't really have a face. Well... No, those are Dementors. Oh, that's right. The Death Eaters are bad dudes, Yeah, I guess. from the... I guess. From the... Ministry or something. Who knows? First, <laughs> clearly first, a bunch of Harry Potter fanatics know, but <laughs> oh yeah, and they're like what? Blah, blah, blah. Um, so first he he plays the father of a homicidal daughter. Then he plays a guy who makes a really bad choice about a house and gets killed. And then he's a Death Eater. It's quite really? the progression. He's done now. Yeah, yeah. This this scene is very much like a slasher film. And they set it up so well that the parents go, she sends the girl to bed. Wait till your parents come home. You wait till your parents come home. And she even has her back to us in the chair and she's all happy. So I, w- I want to talk about this. It's weird. I don't know what's going on. Who, Mrs. Foster watching TV? Mrs. Foster is watching ABC, which is Australian. Right. But this is not in Australia. No. She's also watching a show called Casebook. Right. Which is an Australian show from the 60s, though later on it says it's 1955. So she's a time traveler and she can time travel with TV too? And now I got to tell you, <laughs> Casebook sounds like the worst show on television. Are you ready for this? Is it like Dragnet? No, Dragnet's exciting. Oh, it was a uh, made with the cooperation of the of the Australian Medical Association. It is an educational documentary series. Each episode usually contained two to three segments relating to medical advice being given by real doctors and patients played by professional actors suffering from a variety of illnesses. Then why is there a car on fire? I don't know. I <laughs> I assumed it was like a true Facebook, crime show. It clearly says Casebook, and it clearly says ABC. We may have this show wrong. Maybe there was another Casebook And please show. tell us if we have this show wrong, but hey, I could not Mrs. figure Foster, it out. it's Mrs. Foster, who is Mrs. Bundy, who is a time traveler, so who knows what she's watching, because she's about to get shanked anyway. Yes. So then there's this shot of the camera moving through the house, and it looks like a doll's house. Yeah. They do such a good job. It's a strange house anyway. Yeah. The foyer looks like a back door. It's... It, yeah. I said foyer. I'm such a Hoosier. It's foyer. It's foyer. Sorry. We say foyer around and here. when they show the knives in the kitchen, there's a spoon above it that's moving. Yeah. Why? Like there's a breeze or something? Something. It's it, And it happens both times. Yeah. I don't know, but the knife that she picks is the shiniest, most mirrorist knife ever. Ding! <laughs> <laughs> so Mrs. Foster is sitting in her chair, enjoying her anachronistic TV, and we see the knife and her reflection in the knife and the screaming, no! No, we don't know if it's Annabella. We don't know. Annabelle. Annabelle. No, we don't. And the parents come home. And they go check on Mrs. Foster. And I think the mom does some good acting. She, she does, yeah, because the babysitter's dead. So 
you go to the kids' room next. And Mrs. Bundy, who's been around a lot of death, mm. knows how to act like a dead body. She does a good job. She's got multiple stab wounds. They rush upstairs and Annabella... Annabelle. Annabelle is in bed sleeping. And this is in the era where the kids lived in the attic. The bigger the house, the more stories you had, the higher the kids would be placed. Yes. But they I, have to go up like... 17 flights of stairs. So I have a problem, though, here. <laughs> they they wake her up, and they show her bedclothes, and she is not bloody. Okay, yeah, but I keep wanting to call her Mrs. Bundy. Mrs. Foster, her knife wounds are very clean. There's no, like, arterial stuff going on. They're no, like chest stabs. But there's a lot of blood on the knife. Yeah, because it's been in Mrs. Foster. I still think she would have blood on her, and I think she actually changed. Because mm. she is Looney McToonie. There's no blood on the handle of the knife when you mm. see the doll baby holding it. So then, that's right, you see the doll baby holding it, and that's one creepy doll baby. Yeah, it is. It is. It's like a blackface Raggedy Ann. That cold opening rag doll. is terrifying. It's super creepy. Because... They do such a good job of implying that she did it without saying, oh, my God, she did it. Well, and later on, you know, when we hear more about her, it's it. they confirm that she did say she did it. And they say her name super quick mm -hmm. so that when we're introduced to Bella later on, oh, it's a completely different person. Yeah. And now, now that you keep saying Annabella, I want to confirm it's Annabelle. It's Annabelle. Yeah. And it... Um, because I always make a connection between Annabelle the evil doll. Yes. And this episode with a girl named Annabelle who's got a creepy doll. So a bunch of people are getting together for a meeting. Yes. This includes... Marcus DeVere and Bella DeVere. Ray Dorset. Yeah, who's the butcher. Mrs. Drinkwater, who is the riding the bike. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. I love Marcus. He has the cutest little hat. And he's driving his tractor. He's fantastic. And we're introduced to the daughter of... Carolyn. Marcus and Bella. Now, if the daughter isn't seeing Peter Drinkwater, does any of this happen? Hmm. Let's revisit that. I think she may be the entire source of the problem. Well, it wouldn't be her. It would be Laura. Yes, I would agree. If Laura didn't tell Carolyn... Yeah. Would any of it happen? I don't know. Laura is Gordon's wife. And right. he's the vet. Yeah. And she's horrible. She is. Those are the Briarleys. Gordon and Laura Briarly. Yeah, she's one of those snipey um, wives who puts her husband down all oh, the time. No. It's, it's kind of a trope in Midsummer, right? It is a trope in Midsummer, but she gets it. <laughs> so they're having a village meeting because the perfect village competition has chosen them as a candidate for perfect village for country matters magazine four days away on july 10th why does everything happen in the first weeks of july in midsummer <laughs> that's an exciting time you get five thousand pounds we could fix the village no he says we could rebuild the village hall well having been in several village halls I could see that. <laughs> you think you can build one for five grand? <laughs> I think so. They get awful cold in February at Euchre parties. Now, somebody got a brand new foreshadowing pencil with this episode. Yeah. Because there is foreshadowing all over the place. There here. is. There is. There's mention of the wine. There's mention of blood. And, and they keep saying Judgment Day. You know, 
when you see a movie like, oh, I don't know, let's pick a movie out of the blue, Face Off, and they say the name of the movie, you go, ah, they said the name of the movie. Clever. So clever. But they say Judgment Day 18,000 times in this episode. I don't think that's what you'd call it anyway. You no, would say I the don't. day the judges are coming. Yes. Judgment Day has uh, kind of connotations of either your Judgment Day is coming or everybody's judgment it's day definitely is not a positive thing no it's the day we will be judged and speaking of judges we have we know three judges rosemary thurman from country matters who is like 80s power couple editor lady yeah right big shoulder pads and loves the city and hates the country right frank Mannion, who is a whole wonderful thing yeah on top of it great actor and annabelle cross who is a replacement for somebody. No, Annabelle Cross can't come. Oh, she, she gets so canceled. Samantha Johnston. Samantha Johnson steps in. And who's the fourth judge? Joyce, Joyce Barnaby. But this whole Annabelle thing, it's like it's it's a like a triple red herring. Yeah. Like, oh, so you think, ooh, that little girl, she's gonna come back into this, you know? She, the, the little girl from the cold opening, she's a killer, but she's not gone. She's gotta have some connection. So she has to be Annabelle Cross. But no. But no. No. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so we've got this whole committee of, of folks who are in charge of the perfect village competition. I love how Midsummer Mallow, which is the village we're in this time. I love the Tom Astor what first prize was. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, this is first prize. That, I get to go be a judge. That is a joke that always works and is always great. Yeah. And I think it's kind of fun that Joyce is telling Tom about her winning this competition to, you know, she won the prize. She gets to go be a judge and stay in these fancy hotels and everything. And she seems to be telling him like the day before she's leaving. Yeah. Wouldn't you know like way in advance? You know in advance. And I also have a problem with the Barnaby's parenting here. Because, (laughs) okay, Let's cover this. You just want Cully to go away. (laughs) Let's cover this. Cully has been sent down from Oxford, right? She Mm -hmm. quit. Mm -hmm. She moved to the city to leave with her boyfriend and yet never goes away. Goes on vacation with them. Okay. Well, and if Joyce is leaving the house, Cully has to appear to take care of Tom. And is now writing a book. The man never gets any time alone. None. He can live by himself. I'm sure he can. I'm sure he can live by himself. (laughs) But no, if Joyce is leaving, Cully has to show up. And the Midsummer Village is Midsummer Mallow that's Mm -hmm. made it through. And there's been no grisly murders, but a spate of robberies. Yeah. Just these little robberies committed by Peter Drinkwater and Jack Dorset. Peter Drinkwater is Orlando Bloom. Legolas. Yeah. So he's bonking the, the daughter. I remember the first time I saw this and I was like, who is that? I'm just, uh, that guy looks like Orlando Bloom, doesn't he? Wait a minute. That is Orlando Bloom. He is 23 in this. He's so young. 18 months later, he's in Black Hawk Down. Yeah. And six months after that, he's in New Zealand starting Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Really, this role made his career, don't really, you think? Really, it did. <laughs> so let me tell you a little bit about Orlando Bloom, because he, he's got an interesting childhood that I didn't know about. He's, his mother and his, his dad, he was raised by his mom and dad. His dad's name was Harry Bloom. But his dad died when he was, uh, he died when he was four. And then a few years after that, his mom 
kind of moves in with this guy named Colin. Why didn't I write down his last name? Um, who was a family friend. So, you know, he'd been, Colin had been a okay. friend of mom and dad and dad dies. And so, you know, they kind of hook up. But then about a year or two after that, his mom admits that Colin is actually his dad. What? And that Harry Bloom, who he thought was his dad, knew that. Harry Bloom had had a stroke that okay. had caused him to become infertile. And so the three of them had made an arrangement because they really wanted to have kids. So she had two kids, Orlando and his sister, Samantha, with this family friend. And then her husband died. So she and the family friend hooked up and raised, raised Orlando. Samantha and Orlando. And now they're living in a Lord of the Rings house. <laughs> I just thought that was like a crazy story, you That's know? That's wild and crazy. Yeah. We've talked about Carolyn DeVere, the daughter. Mm-hmm. She is played by an actress named Chloe Tucker. Well, I say she's an actress. She was an actress at this point. Yeah. But this is her last acting credit. Okay. Then she went on to be a script editor um, and uh, like she worked in production mm-hmm. after this. Okay. So she, she didn't really act again. But there are people who do that. Oh, like... yeah. There's lots of people who do that. But way to go out on a high point. Like, oh, yeah, I was an actor for a few years. And the last role I was in, I was naked with Orlando Bloom. Absolutely. (laughs) Like, that's a pretty good story. Yeah. You know? But anyway. Yeah. So this is kind of her last big acting gig. Okay. And then she goes on to be a script editor. Okay. Let's take our foreshadowing pen and write some more script. Okay. Which includes, your parents would kill you if they knew you were here. (laughs) And then she goes, my parents would kill you if they knew I was here. Yeah. And guess what happens? (laughs) (laughs) Well, and that's just the first of many references to killing Peter Drinkwater. I mean, really, the the perfect village committee really should be the we want to kill Peter committee. Yeah, it should be. Because everybody at that table has a motive. It's all full of red herrings. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he goes outside and he talks to... Jack. Jack Dorset, the butcher's son who's Who waiting by the van. Has a side gig as Tom Bailey of the Thompson twins. <laughs> he doesn't even look like him. I don't know. Giant what you're hair about. like Tom Bailey. He's right? just disaffected the whole time. He's just king for one day. Okay, anyway, they stand so close together. They do. I was like, are you gonna kiss him, dude? Because there's nothing wrong with that, but no people. Like, Stand that close together and You talk. just got out of bed with that lady, though. Well, we'll talk about that. And we'll talk about Orlando's lack of showering and what that <laughs> probably means. Okay. Did you notice he's got a little tattoo on his tummy? He has a little tattoo a little on his little white shorts. So they're the robbers, right? The yeah. Thompson twin and and Legolas are, Jack. are the robbers. And they're going to hit this manor house because the guy's away. He's and got a bunch of stuff. So Jack Dorsett... The the butcher's son, you're calling them the Thompson twins. He's played by this guy named Tobias Menzies, who's been in a ton of things. Game of Thrones. He was in Game of Thrones. And it's really, it's a small part. He played Edmore Tully in Game of Thrones. But he was also in Rome. He was in Rome, which was a really big thing. He's been in Foyle's War. Yep. Um, but the most recent thing that he was in that I really liked was The Terror. It was that movie about the um, the ship that got caught in the ice, and there's the monster. Oh, yeah. He was in that? Yeah, The Terror. Oh, cool. If you haven't seen The Terror and you like British stuff, 
it's, it's and that the, book was good. The you book read was the... excellent, but the the movie's super good. So so Peter and Jack are gonna go uh, commit another robbery, right? So, yes. So they go to Greyfriars, yes. which is Edward Allardyce's house. Yes. Now I was confused about this. So they they show up at dark, right? Yes. They break a window to yes. get in. So they must be fairly sure that he's not home. Yes. Or they wouldn't be breaking a window to well, come in. Well, he told Ray the Butcher he was going to London. That's right. But when they're inside, they're like busting stuff up and then whispering. Yeah, because, okay, so you don't understand. As a criminal, when you're inside a building, you have to whisper. Oh, so you can make big noise by like shattering a bowl. But then you have to whisper about it? You have to whisper. It's Um, more dramatic. I didn't know that. Yes. I thought maybe they were whispering so that they could hear the wheezing eyeball. So the wheezing eyeball, which is lit really badly. Because (laughs) if it was shown the way it was lit, you would go, there's someone right there. Yeah, but we wouldn't be able to see it if it wasn't. Yeah. I actually thought it was really well done. You got that... uh, because the eye is clearly somebody elderly, but you don't know if it's male or female. You don't know if it's threatening. He cuts the painting, and then they take off in Ray's van. Okay. They steal all the clangy silver. Ka-clang, ka-clang, ka-clang. Break the bulk. Okay, Jack. <laughs> I'm going to tell you something. Maybe not use Dad's van to yeah. steal stuff. <laughs> A bright white van. <laughs> At least it doesn't say, like, Ray's Butcher Shop on the side. But it's a refrigerated van. There is probably five of these in all of Midsummer. (laughs) Yeah, and they're not not geniuses, obviously. But luckily, two geniuses, Tom and Barnaby, are on the case. They're on the case, right? So this is, what, the eighth burglary or something like that? This is seven break-ins. Seven break-ins. So they come by in the morning to check it out, and it's... Edward Allardyce's house. He's a retired actor, you know, of the stage. He's very well known. Why is the creepy doll from Annabelle's bedroom in Edward's study? Because everybody had those dolls. That's all I can think of. Why does Edward have creepy dolls in his study? Um, foreshadowing. <laughs> so, so an elderly man has a doll thing because... Well, I think Jane has the doll thing. That's the implication. Okay, but he wouldn't keep them in his study. Maybe he likes them. I don't know. And there's the dollhouse from Hamlet. That's different. And that's <laughs> that's in, in the library. That's actually what I think is his study. The library is where the creepy dolls are. Yes. We don't keep any creepy dolls in our library. Did you notice that Tom is completely weirded out by the dolls? Yeah, he as looks you would at, be. He looks at them and he's like... Whoa. <laughs> do we have creepy stuff in our library? Uh, yeah, we kind of do. We have masks and things like that. So. Oh, we have a face hugger in there. Yes, from we aliens. Have, we have a face hugger. Yeah, so. I guess we do have creepy stuff, but nothing like that doll. Well, that's the doll of a killer child. Allardyce is obfuscating. <laughs> yeah, he's like, oh, my wife is dead. By the way, she's dead. Dead, 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 dead. She's not here. She's never here. She's dead. And I accidentally saw a white van with this particular plate number. I just happened to kind of notice it. Yes, the bastards. And I dreamt that there were two of them. I just imagined, doesn't it take two to rob something? Yes. They always come in pairs. I didn't see it. What? Robbers? (laughs) (laughs) They. (laughs) They. They go to Ray's butcher shop where he knows everything. Yeah, and (laughs) so... 
So Ray is like, wow, you know who you'd ought to talk to is that Peter Drinkwater because he's a rascal and a hooligan and he's a bad all-around person and I'm sure it's him. And meanwhile, Jack's over in the corner slicing meat and I'm just waiting for him to like scream and hold up a bloody stump because he's so focused on that conversation. But Jack's got his back to the conversation and his head's like, completely turned around like an owl and he's paying more attention. I mean, really, there should be blood splattered on the <laughs> tile from him chopping off his own hands. There's a good line in here, too. First of all, Ray says, no one's moved to the village in five or six years. What kind of place is this? <laughs> he says Allardyce was the last person to move to the village. And then he goes, but there's someone else. Except for Peter. And then Troy goes, Go on. Go on. <laughs> what kind of name is Drinkwater anyway? I don't know, but he's out at Windy Whistle Farm, which is a deserted farm. Boy, I have some problems here. Windy Whistle? Yeah, so it's a whole farm with a completely kitted out kitchen, by the way. Oh, absolutely. Like, the, yeah, there's some buildings that are falling down. Deserted. That's the word that's used. Deserted. Yeah. Nobody wants to move in the, into this town. You know, Midsummer Mallow is not welcoming. Okay. I'm going to get technical here. All right. Peter has had sex with Caroline. Yes. And now he's... While his ha- friend waited outside. Yeah. Which is... Ugh. He has had no time to shower. Nope. And now he's screwing the vet's wife. Yep. For money. Ick. Ugh. <laughs> It's not like she's super classy anyway. No, it's two people who hate each other and hate themselves. I think she likes to hate him, but she can't. She doesn't like that he hates her. She can give it, but she can't take it. And she's given him 50 pounds for the bonking. Yeah. And then he he throws his friend under the bus. Oh, can I kill Peter Drinkwater? He's a bad person. Okay, okay. He has a tattoo and a necklace. Ah, he has a tattoo and a necklace. And he drives a Mini Cooper. Yes. Which is very bad. So (laughs) he leaves and the vet is in the garage, which would be clearly visible. No, no, he's in the shadow. It's not shadow enough. He's creepy vet. The vet lurking would, in the shadow would totally be seen. No, Gorgeous. like I'm surprised Drinkwater didn't wave to him on the way by. Yeah, like he's Do-do-do. five feet away from Just him. Just boning your wife. See you later, dude. No, Gordon is able to lurk in shadows. It's his skill, like an elf lurking shadows. Like an you elf. get it? <laughs> Barnaby and Troy are at the farm, and Peter shows up. Yeah, <laughs> doesn't and, get out of the car. He's like, no, puts it in reverse. It's just <laughs> basically guilty McGilterson of Guildtown. You can't catch me, coppers. <laughs> it's like, don't mind the clanging in the back of my car. It's just my silver collection. Well, and he's like, I don't care where you look. This is an abandoned, deserted mill. Why do they need a warrant? Because they want to do it by the book. By the book. And he says, I don't care where you look. And later on, Troy opens one door and finds everything. (laughs) Yeah. Like, he's not, like, hiding it real well. No. He's keeping it all in a cabinet in the kitchen, which is the one furnished room in the place, as far as we know. Caroline is very upset with her parents. Well, she's stiffy starving. I'm 20 years old. You can't tell me what to do, even though I live under your roof and eat your food. And I will go speak to Emano Emano. Oh, Marcus, (laughs) you can do it. Anytime. Mano y mano. She's upset, so she goes outside, and Caroline spills the beans. Car- no, Laura. Laura spills the beans. Okay, sorry. so here we go. 
Now, we're going to go back to our question. Does any of this happen without this conversation? Who just happens to be walking by. Like 20 seconds later, this whole thing doesn't happen. What does Laura tell her? He has a tattoo on his stomach. Okay, but I don't think Laura would be going around admitting that she's having an affair. It's weird that she's admitting. I think she says... I don't says, think she does. I think she says he's sleeping with other women, not me. Other, other people. I heard that. Yeah. Like Ray told me, he he he's sleeping with his aunt. No, 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 not his aunt. What are the Cully Barnaby? He's sleeping with her. <laughs> See, I don't think Laura would admit that it's her. No, and I don't think, but I don't think Carolyn would believe her if she didn't have like definitive proof. Because Carolyn's like, I love him, and there's nothing you can do, and we're gonna go live together, and we're gonna run away, and you can't stop us. And then thirty seconds later, Laura's stopping her and telling her something. That completely changes her mind, and Laura is not, Carolyn's not walking around going, I hate Laura, I hate Peter. She doesn't seem to be angry at Laura. So I don't think that's what she admits. I'm telling, okay, I'll tell you what happened. There was a room of dudes, and they were trying to figure this out. Uh huh. Scriptwriters? Uh, yep. And Horowitz goes, Why don't we just throw them talking and not actually do the details? Doesn't matter. Silverstein goes, Brilliant, film it. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter what she says. Yep. All we know is we can fill in the details. We will exact closure on the scene. I think it all still happens because Peter is still Peter. Yeah. He's still committing robberies. He's still sleeping around. He's still having sex for money. He's still being disrespectful prick. But Bella wouldn't have killed him unless he was doing this. Because she's going to live. She's going to run away with him. That's the thing that Bella doesn't like. Right. Not that he's a bastard. Right. That he's going away with Caroline, which Caroline, I'm sorry, honey. He's not. It's not going to happen. No. So if Caroline wasn't delusional, would anything happen? Well, it runs in the family. Barnaby remembers Peter Drinkwater's record, and he looks it up on the shiny new color monitor computer. He's got a record. He has a computer. So he has a, a bunch of different records. English law in assault cases, you have this great named... Charge GBH GBH grievous bodily harm. Yeah, like that's seriously good. That's such a good name. There is a band named GBH. Okay, (laughs) but then for car theft, what they call it is taking and driving away, and the van is owned by Ray Dorset. So Peter, which we knew, like we can put that together. Big guess. So Peter's bad. He moved to town to live with his aunt, Barbara. Yep. Who's played by Barbara Jefford, who's also in the Creeper episode. Okay. The one with the burglar. Yeah. Yeah, she's in that one. And But she seems like a real stand-up person. Yeah. So... It's his great aunt. So I think the parents were bad. Oh, okay. You know what else is bad? Hmm. That band. <laughs> But wow. hey, Barbara Jefford, who plays Barbara Drinkwater, by the way, his, yep. his great aunt, she's in Campion, which we've already talked about. Um, but her husband, the actress's husband in real life, is the guy who plays Spode in Jeeves and Wooster. Oh, okay. Spode, the guy who's kind of starting the, the neo-knee brigade that like they're kind of like Nazis, but they're all about shorts. Oh, so Spode's not the guy with the newts. That's another guy. No. Spode's the, the Nazi guy. Yeah, with the shorts showing off yeah. his knees all the time. And That's it, her husband. Oh, wow. It's a, fu- it's a fun character. That's, he's really he, funny. He's fun. 
Anyway. So then everybody gets pissed off at Peter. Yep. It's pissed off at Peter Day. Everybody hates Peter. Mom hates Peter. Ray hates Peter. Edwards hates Peter. The vet hates Peter. Everybody's pissed. Gordon is so mad at Peter that he ditches a cat in the middle of a surgery. Just ditches it. He is the worst vet ever. You finish. Poor cat's laying there all laid open. And Laura's like, uh... I don't think Laura has the skills to finish this job. I don't think so either. Poor cat. And then later, he's got chinos covered in cat blood. Maybe it was that cat. Maybe. Pitchfork cam. I don't... (sighs) This would not work. Okay? It just wouldn't work. Okay. Unless that pitchfork was, like, razor sharp. But she's strong because she's loony. He's not up against anything. No. He's just standing there. He's no. a third her age. He could easily just take another step back. Yeah. He could easily swipe it to the side. Also, I have in it my notes. It just doesn't work. I have in my notes. Legolas fails to make his dexterity check. <laughs> <laughs> Little D&D reference it's for you. It's dramatic there. though. I'll give it to them. It's dramatic. It's it's a great it's a great murder scene. He's standing there and he goes, "What?" And then And they do a really good job of cutting here, right? Because they show the pitchfork advancing. And then it's cut really well so that you don't realize that Legolas already has the pitchfork in him. Yeah. And then he pulls it a little bit more and then falls down. Right. He does a good fall down. Yeah, he does. And you see it. You have that nice, like, pitchfork cam. And then you have this side shot. Because this is a typical British home where they have doors aplenty. Like, they have doors to doors and doors to rooms. And every room has a door, no matter what. With doors. There's no open plan anything. Nope. So there's a door that leads to the foyer, yes. which has another door that leads outside. Yes. And so we get this great view of him from the side as the pitchfork goes into him. Yep. It's, it's very what? good. That's what I'm going to say when somebody comes to our door and tries to kill me. What? And eight seconds later, the cops show up. Yeah. Oh, for heaven's sakes, Tom says. Oh, for heaven's <laughs> sakes. He's like, this whole county's full of loonies. And Troy finds the stuff in like two seconds. He goes through one door and lifts up a, pe- a piece of canvas and is like, oh, here's all the stuff. Well, to his credit, he goes in the very next room. Yeah. It's right there. You know, that fancy computer in the plastic bag. Yeah. Because that's what they steal stuff in is plastic bags. No, no, that's an evidence bag that they bring it back to all day sin later. I'm just glad they had that big CRT monitor and thought it was valuable. Our favorite guest star, Coroner. Toby. Toby's here. Toby's fancy in this episode. Yeah. He's got a shirt and tie on. His hair's all combed. He's like, shame you didn't get here sooner. I think he only died five minutes ago. I think he literally flew in to do two scenes and is out. Peter's heart just stopped beating, and then you showed up, Tom. Like, and you <laughs> see Bella running off yeah. in the background. She's still in the back with the pitchfork. Ha, <laughs> I got him. <laughs> Skewered like a spud on Guy Fox night. They do the right thing. They bag the handle of the pitchfork, right? So the head and the handle are both bagged. That's good. Because at first I thought just the head was bagged. And I thought, okay, that doesn't work. The pointy end and the stick end. Are they, they bag the whole thing. But then Toby just stands up and goes, Cyril, and walks out. And a woman walks in, and a followed guy by a man, right? Yeah, but like, I, I just kept thinking, like, like together they were Cyril. Oh, Cyril and Rill. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> like they're the hive mind of of <laughs> of ambulance people. 
in their green outfits. And he just calls Cyril and they appear. So underneath the body, underneath Legolas, they find a credit card, hmm. which I'm now obsessed with credit cards in this <laughs> television show. Well, and we find out later that Gordon planted that. How did he get it under his body? No, I don't think Gordon planted it. I think he stole it. Oh, he stole it when he was bonking Laura? Yes. Oh, okay. That's what I think happened. I thought Gordon planted it's it. It's Gordon's Briarley's Lloyd's TSB acid card, 5404-4001-2345678, and you cannot tell the last digit. The expiry is 0501, by the way. Mr. Gordon Briarley MasterCard. Wouldn't it be doctor? You would think. So you ruined it for me because I had this awesome scene in my head of Bella stabbing him, him falling down, her running off with her bloody pitchfork, Gordon sneaking in, sliding a credit card under the body, then him sneaking away. And then, and then Ray then, driving by. And then Ray, Ray drives <laughs> by, and then Toby pulls up. <laughs> He's just now dead. There was all this, like, Benny Hill stuff going on in my head. <laughs> I guess it makes more sense that Peter stole it. That's yes. no fun at all. Sorry. They're off to the butcher shop. Let's go back to the font of all knowledge. Jack gets accused of what he's been doing. Yeah. Well, there's only two young people in town besides Carolyn. I hate my life. And one of them is already bad, so. <laughs> and dead. So who's left? It must be Jack. And Jack's holding the bag here. Now, Ray does a good job. He stands up for his son. He says that other kid did it, but. Yeah, he says he didn't know what he was doing. What did he think How he do was doing? How you accidentally steal something? What did Peter tell Jack? Oh, we're just removals guys now. It was these, just an accident. These people are moving. Ah. We're helping them. Okay. But we got to do it real quiet. Okay. And whisper. And move it all to our place. Yes. Oh, move it all it. to Windy Whistle Farm. <laughs> I still can't do it. It's deserted. Because <laughs> that's where they're moving. Everybody's moving there. <laughs> and Jack's like, okay. <laughs> and Ray brings up the red Renault, which is Mrs. DeVere's car. Yeah. But it had tinted windows. And when they go and confront the DeVere's, Marcus says, I was driving it. it I have, me. in all capital letters, in my notes, the following sentence. Does no one in this f county know how to play Scrabble. <laughs> it's a contentious game. First of all, her word is screamy, mm -hmm. which is a word in the dictionary, but not in the Scrabble dictionary. Marcus is correct. You are a super nerd. It is 14 points, according to the British Scrabble lettering. Okay. Okay. E is a triple word score on letter position F14. So if you go down from the top, F and 14, uh, uh, sorry, 14 rows down and six letters across. So that's how the Scrabble board is listed. You can't see me right now. My eyes are getting bigger the nerdier he gets. <laughs> go on. That is at most 14 plus the two extra for the triple letter score, 16. But Bella who is nutsy, suddenly says it's 21. Now, she is correct that using all of her tiles to spell screamy does give her an extra 50 points, but instead of 71, she should have 66. Do you feel better now? I do. <laughs> I watched that scene. I looked at Scrabble boards. I read the British Scrabble board rules. Oh, my God. <laughs> I don't want anybody to think that you have no life. You are one of the busiest people I know. I can't believe you spent that much time on that. It's not even important. It's not even a word. Oh. I agree with 
Marcus. All it proves is that Marcus loves her a lot. Yes, he loves her. And so, he's willing to let he her clearly have lets bad her math. cheat. Yes. <laughs> he loves her. And where do they live? Oh, we'll get there. Lothlorien. Lothlorien. So Cully shows up and they're talking about Samantha Johnson at this point in time at the Barnaby's house, right? And she says that Samantha Johnson's been replaced and she writes the Sister Clara Chronicles books, not real books. Okay. They are seen, uh, their uh, villages seen through the eyes of a retired nun. I maybe want to read those books. Oh my God, they sound so boring. Little Knightsbridge is the first thing and then Midsummer Mallow. Right. So then we get back to the DeVere's house, which is called Lothlorien. Which is a reference to Lord of the Rings. Which is stunning because at no way possible could anyone on this set know that Legolas was going to be Legolas. I can only think that that house actually had that name, but I, I couldn't find proof of that. Yeah. Because it's there on the wall. The house it's is surrounded by a metal wall. metal and it's on a wall. Yeah. And I, I could only think that it was there and the showrunners thought, well, we have to acknowledge that it's there because we can't film this entry into this wall without it showing. Or maybe the people who own the house said, if you're going to show the house, you got to show the name. Maybe. And this is all... The, like this is all in or around Oxfordshire. It's not unstrange that a buddy of Tolkien there be a Tolkien reference somewhere. Yeah. yeah. So Lothlorien. But at some point, Horowitz must have been like, huh, called it. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I'll get to that. So Lothlorien is a realm of wooden wooden valley with the elven center of resistance against Sauron. So it is an elven place. Uh, I just thought it was odd that Tom recognizes the name first, because I don't think of him as a big Tolkien reader, but maybe he is. He reads the Bible. He reads a whole bunch of other stuff. Oh, yeah. He's he's a well-rounded guy. Okay, so let's say he does read Tolkien. But even then, it's odd because the DeVeres don't have any tie to it. There's no other reference to it. There's no reason. If they could have just ignored the name of the house, I think they would. Troy doesn't like dwarves and fairies. He likes books with in them. Yeah. Whatever that means. (laughs) I don't know what he's reading. I don't know. Your car was seen and Marcus, I love him, takes the blame. Yeah. Like a good man does. He's a good guy. Yep. I went to see him. He's going to have a mano a mano conversation. Yep. But he wasn't there. And I saw Ray. Well, he says he pulls up and he toot toots. Which I was like, (laughs) you toot, dude? No wonder he didn't come out. He pulled up and went, (laughs) (laughs) and Peter didn't run out. (laughs) Who's that farting in my (laughs) courtyard? In my windy whistle. Who's that toot in my windy whistle? But, like, Peter's not the kind of guy who would be like, oh, someone's honking. I'll run outside and see who it is. Oh, He'd be, like, flipping him the bird from the window. It's just weird. Come and get me, old man. Ha <laughs> ha. Then there's a completely useless scene at a nursery. <laughs> oh, it's just more evidence that Carolyn is delusional. She's just... Listen, little plant, nobody's going to buy you if you don't cheer up a little bit. <laughs> My mother's crazy, and so am I. <laughs> well, and also um, in the same scene where Marcus says that he was the one driving the car, and then he went at that windy whistle. Uh, Bella picks up this picture of Carolyn where she's just wet. Yeah, it's the it, worst it's, picture it's ever. Weird. And Barnaby's like, "Lovely." No, it it looks like a portrait, like a professionally taken picture of her wet. But she's wet. I don't. I don't have any portraits of my children looking wet. So we need to have another meeting about Judgment Day. 
a meeting about Judgment Day. We should talk about Judgment Day at the meeting. It's really it's the, the Let's meeting Kill about Peter judgment. Com- Committee. It's the Let's Kill Peter Committee Judgment Day meeting. Why don't? By the way, Judgment Day. <laughs> Troy and Tom just need to go to this meeting and go, which of you did it? For the children, Judgment Day will go forward. For the children? <laughs> <laughs> it's the Apocalypse Day. And this is the one time where Laura's like, oh. Maybe not. No. And they're like, overruled. Overruled. There will be judgment. Uh, We have more Edward Allardyce scenes where he gets haughty. I was in London. My wife died in a car crash. Yeah, but this is the one where they film him in front of the painting that that, that Peter slashed. Now, where does he slash the painting? I'm so glad you asked. He slashes it across the cheek, the left cheek. Hmm. What a... Edward Allardyce has a big scar across his left cheek. Yeah, amazing. Is he Dorian Gray? And he stands in front of the painting (laughs) that looks a lot like him, but younger, with the slash and the scar. Jane died in a car accident. Daddy dead. She's dead. We haven't talked about him, though. We should talk about him a little bit. Okay. Because um, while we're at it, Edward Allardyce is played by Moray Watson. Okay. Who was in a campion, because yeah. everybody was. He was also in Cat Weasel. Oh! <laughs> but most exciting, he plays Colonel Bantry in The Body in the Library from 84. That's right. The Marple. That we just watched. The Marple episode where he's like, I'm not getting out of bed. There's no body in my library. And he's like, oh, but sir, there's a body in the library. He's like, no, there's not a body in the library. But sir, there is. But that doesn't really differentiate and then he from goes, the other body and, and in the library. And then he goes downstairs and he goes, Drats, there's actually a body in the library. Yes. Yeah. He's very good. Moray Watson was in a, a ton, ton, ton of things. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. He's uh, Colonel Bantry. The cost and echo come. I'm like obsessed with the print materials. Scrabble, newspapers, and credit cards. Really, that's what this show's going to become. Police probe for pitchfork killer. Pitchfork killer, which is right, but a little sensationalized. Underneath that, hundreds of jobs inside. See special pullout. You know where there's a job? Where? In the butcher shop. <laughs> Because Jack's going to jail. And there's a picture of the farm, and Roy, and Tra- Tom doesn't want Joyce to see it, so he puts it behind the radiator, which is a fire hazard. Big time. But it is July, so it's not like they're going to be turning the heat on anytime but soon. But still, I was like... Okay, and then the Barnaby's house burns down. I thought it was sweet that he didn't want her to see it. I know. Because it would have stressed her out. It is sweet, but there are other places you could put a newspaper. Surprise, there was a killing... <laughs> like she'd be like, yeah, big shock. But they do a good job of it later because they ask if the, if the rest of the judges knew. And she was like, yeah, the gardening judge like bought the paper in the morning and showed us everybody. He made a joke about yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> so then we get to meet the judges. At Rosemary's the calling Ed in the car on the M40, which is actually on the M40. She's very important. She is. She's an important She's person. She's the editor of Country Matters, even though she hates the country. Yes. So Rosemary, the big magazine executive, yes. is Maggie Steed is the actress. Yeah. She's also in Schooled for Murder yep. in 2013 and in Left for Dead in 2008. Okay. So this is her first of three Midsummer appearances. But I knew her best from Pie in the Sky. Yeah, that's right. She's in Pie in the Sky. She's his wife, isn't she? Yeah, she's an accountant who's married to a former cop who's become a chef, and he solves crimes. She's also in A Year in Provence. Did you ever see that? Uh, So when did that come out? It it was like 88 or something like that. I think we may have seen that in an art house movie theater. No, because it was a series. 
Oh, then I didn't see it. So A Year in Provence is based on a memoir by Peter Mayle. Okay. And John Thaw plays Peter Mayle. Okay. John Thaw, who plays, plays Morse. Morse. Yeah. And, but she's, she's in that. And it's, it's another show that's kind of like a little warm hug. Okay. show it's really good but she was also in the young ones well that like you can't get much different than yeah the young ones is the most whack job show ever and i love every single part of it every single minute of it but she she's really young it's very funny <laughs> yeah so so rosemary Furman is our first judge our second judge is frank mannion who is very low and talks very quietly to his plants. And then the camera is off and he's special. I'm off. Yes. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. In it, it's interesting. Because when we meet Frank, he's he's in front of the camera filming his gardening show, right? But, and then he's off to be a and judge. And the actor says, cut, the director says, cut. Yeah. And he says, that's it, Jeremy. I'm off on the road. Well, the director is played by Jeremy Silverston. Oh, that's so meta. And Roger Tooley, who is the steady cam operator for the episode, he plays the camera operator. So it's the crew playing the crew. And they all kind of turn and look at the camera. It, it's their, hey, mom, I was on the show moment. That's so cute. Yeah, I think it's super cool. Well, Frank Mannon, um, he's also in The Creeper, uh, which is a 2009 episode. Which has Ray Mayall from... From the young ones. From the young ones. Uh, yeah. yeah, there's a little loop. And Barbara Jefford, who plays Barbara Drinkwater, is also in The Creeper. Yeah. So they they reunite for an episode a few How years later. How long has it been since we did a Midsummer? Let's do another one. Yeah. He is also in a Bergerac. So he and Ooh. John Nettles had been in something together before, too. Samantha Johnston is drinking up a storm, though. Ooh, she's played by Josephine Tucson, best known for being Hyacinth Bouquet's next door neighbor. Yes. And keeping up appearances. Now, I don't like keeping up appearances. I oh, know. But she's so funny. I know you all like keeping up appearances, but I, do, I don't like Hyacinth. And people have told me that's the point. You're not supposed to like her. I don't want to spend any time with her. I don't think you like her because I think you grew up around women who were a lot like her. I could have, yes. I think there were some women yes. in the WI who were a lot like that. Yes. But Josephine Tucson is a very funny actress. And she's putting it on here. She does a great drunk. Yeah. She's, how, how many bottles has she put like into the trash while she's still waiting the for trash. the train? So that's like five <laughs> shots right there. And she's not even on the train And it's yet. whiskey. Yeah. She's drinking whiskey. <laughs> and she doesn't even seem to enjoy it. She's, she's like, just... She's, she's just drinking to maintain. Yep, just to keep it together. They're staying at a real nice place. Yeah. And there's a judge meeting, and we find out the editor hates country hotels, and that um, Rose, not Rosemary, Samantha was in a place where you go to when you're depressed. Yeah. The one retreat. Of, one of those places. Yes. And then there's a whole bunch of really mean spirited homosexual jokes. Yeah. You just want to pursue your interest in pansies. It's just, it's horrible. But it, Frank, you know. It really shows his age. And meanwhile. Frank doesn't let it bother him, though. No, he doesn't. But it is, you know, that trope of the actor who is all over young men that, you know, in the last couple of years we've seen is maybe not the best 
trope to be. Yeah, because don't they make a joke later about how Frank disappeared with a, a waiter or something yeah. that night? And Samantha's in the background putting more away, more booze away. Because that's what she does to hold it together. And frankly, if I had any ha- hang out with Rosemary, I think I might need to drink too. Yes, I'm interested in Scrabble. And yes, I'm interested in credit cards. Yes, I'm always interested in the cost and echo. But we watched the scene in which we find out that Edward Allardyce's wife didn't die a bunch of times because you wanted to look at a sign in the background. <laughs> We did because it's a poster of two coats hanging on a rack, but one of the coats has a hand coming out of it and it's in the station and it says snatch point. Snatch point. I I guess it's a warning that when you hang your coat up with other people's coats, if you have valuables in your coat, it's an easy place to get them stolen. It can be snatched. Whoever did the the posters in the police station are very realistic for the time. Yeah. It's the exact kind of like public announcement kind of posters. And telephone numbers, if you remember. Yeah, that, that you would get. It's not the best poster in the episode, though. That one's still coming. Okay. So we're off to the vet's house. Yes. To talk to his wife Laura, as adults. Laura, who's the most uncomfortable she could possibly be. Because she has to talk about bonking. But first, she talks about leptospirosis. Yes, because some cows have it? Yeah. So what's leptospirosis? Leptospirosis is a bacterial infection that cows can get, that humans can catch from contact with cow urine. Oh, and when I ca- grew up on a farm. When cows have it, their urine often turns red. So oh. stay away from the red pee and you won't get it. But it's funny that she's talking about leptospirosis and cow disease. Milk? Yes. Want some milk in your coffee? And Troy's like, no. Ew. <laughs> <laughs> That's the last thing he wants. It's just about supply and demand. Yeah. She's paying for sex with Peter because Gordon isn't willing. I guess. He's He's not very good in the demand department. He's too busy being creepy. We have a difference of opinion of the vet. To me, the vet is like at the end of his rope and he appears creepy, but he's just like, I've had enough of your crap, lady, and I'm going to show you how much crap that you live with and out the door you go. But the way he goes about it and how much he enjoys it is creepy. It is a little I was spaying a cat. Because he tries to frame her, you know, like, you're going to back up my fake alibi. Now you're really in it. Yep. And oh, Peter had my credit card. Yeah. Yeah. So then we're off to Little Kirkbridge. Mm -hmm. The town crier is actually an alderman. And he speaks in rhyme. <laughs> it's so painful. And the Morris dancers come out. And, oh, it's so bad. So then we cut to this telephone call in which Joyce is talking about the different dancers they saw. Yeah, she's like summarizing her day to Tom, right? And she says that she saw Abbott's Bromley horn dancers. Mm-hmm. Oh, boy. Did I fall down a rabbit's hole? Did you Google the horn dance? I watched a 20-minute documentary on the Abbott's Bromley horn dance. Did you make your students watch it too? No, I should have. (laughs) The video, the documentary begins with the fool going to the butcher shop because he needs to fill up a pig's bladder with air to carry it around like a balloon. Is he going to toot? I sh... Okay. It's in the first Monday in September. There's a vicar. Like, this documentary is a midsummer episode waiting to. Are you just waiting for somebody to get murdered? The vicar goes, It's pagan with a small P. Oh. (laughs) 
You have to this include a link dance, to this video. It, oh, yes, I will. Abbott's Brom. Oh, and their website, because the dance has its own website. Okay. Um, they have giant reindeer antlers, which they wear on their heads. They assume these are brought from Vikings, roughly around 1050. There's a hobby horse, which is... Uh, a man dressed as a woman with a big skirt riding a horse that has a snappy mouth. Right, that snaps at people. Now, remember, this is small pea pagan. Mm-hmm. I don't know what big pea pagan is. Big pea pagan is burning the wicker man. This is pretty close because all these characters appear in the wicker man, mm. too. By the way, watch the wicker man. Mm. Jesus Christ. Not the the new wicker man. No. The original. The original Wicker Man. There's a boy with an arrow shooting the hobby horse. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's Maid Marian, played by a man, mm-hmm. which he says everybody makes fun of him for being a cock in a frock. Yep. There's the fool with the pig's blotter, and it's all to help crops. Now remember, small pea pagan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There is also a triangle player, and this is how you get into the dance. You play the triangle. That's like the the lowest man on the, the totem pole? St- the lowest man and an accordion player. There is a website that I will post a video, this video. There's lots of websites of this happening, and I will post it all in the show notes, including a link to their website, which is awesome. There is an episode of some British show that includes that dance where somebody gets killed during the dance and the the trick, the reason the murderer gets away with it is that he's in the hobby horse costume and he swaps out with somebody else. And I can't remember what it is. It's not a midsummer. No. But yeah, you're right. But this dance is only done in one tiny little town. Yeah. Why would they be doing it at uh, Little Kirkbridge? I don't understand. Basically, they did a search for dances that they do in small towns, and they listed that one. Yeah. And I went down a rabbit hole for 20 minutes. It's, It's pretty fantastic. It's high production value. I know that. It is. So. Then we cut back to Joyce at the hotel, and she's run into who at the bar? Samantha. Big surprise. Samantha at the bar. What are you going to have? Yeah. <laughs> Two double whiskeys, please. What are you going to have? So Cully here says that there's a homicidal maniac wandering around the town, Midsummer Mallow, with a pitchfork. Mm-hmm. She is correct. Mm-hmm. But Tom poo-poo's it. Well, and it's another case of, of like, um, Cully, she's almost like the deus ex machina every yes. once in a while. She's like, I just happen to have a conversation with my father where I reveal something incredibly important that he runs off and implements because I accidentally told him something important. Like, Edward Allardyce is a famous actor. He wouldn't murder anybody. Which I thought was interesting because what happens in the episode in which the famous actor who runs the theater... Is the murderer. Murderer. He... he he kills a local delinquent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, Laura is digging around in the wardrobe and finds an incredibly bloody pair of chinos. Yes, I killed an animal. It was a nasty little creature. <laughs> and then I smeared it all over my trousers. But I know what was on the trousers. I absolutely know. Cat, 100%. Cat blood. No. No? No. What? Red herring blood. <laughs> He squeezed it out onto his chinos. Marcus is on his tractor. It's judgment day. So Gordon is trying to get Laura to get out of the house because it's time to go to the green because the judges are coming. But no, I have to stab the ground. But, yeah, but then he's stab in the it. yard digging around. Stabbing the ground with a pitchfork. So he's trying to convince her that he could be the killer just to freak her out. Stabby. Stabby. 
<laughs> so he runs out to the yard and says, I've got a little pitchfork. I'm going to dig in the ground where she'll see me just to freak her out. I, I, I have the following notes. Marcus is on a tractor, smiley face, sausages, homemade wine. The vet is killing the ground. <laughs> It's like he's looking at her going, I'm a killer. See, I have a pitchfork. Cully goes off to the Allardyces, and the only really important thing that happens is she forgets her her recorder. Yeah. Allardyce is nice to her. He is. He says, I don't want to do an interview. No interview. Well, I'll tell you anything you want to know. <laughs> the judges are arriving soon, and the vet has a necklace. And he's just really freaked Laura out. He's just trying to creep her out maximum. So uh, Ray Dorset, the butcher, he's in charge of food yep. for the get-together. It's, it's all meat. And he brings chicken wings. Yeah. And I just think that's the worst food to serve at something like this. Yeah. Like sausage rolls make sense. You can eat those at room temperature, but, yeah. but cold or room temperature chicken wings are not no. good. No. And it's a big old platter of chicken wings. And the DeVeres are responsible for the wine. And Mrs. DeVere, when she's meeting the judge, makes up a story. Oh, I see somebody taking something, which is so lame. Meanwhile, the vet, stabby stabby. Yeah. Let me give you a historical tour. He's all nice, walking him around. Essentially, what has happened is Bella has recognized... Samantha. Samantha. And so she's decided to kill Samantha, okay? So she's got to sneak off and poison a bottle of wine. Because Samantha must instantly know that Bella killed Legolas. That Bella is Annabelle. Yeah. And if people know she's Annabelle, then they'll know she probably killed Peter. Yeah. But this is where we get the dudes. So Bella goes to the wine table, and there are three dudes behind her. In every shot that's facing the wine table, there are three men standing behind her in the grass. Staring at the camera. Just standing there. And not doing anything else. (laughs) They're not acting. They they look like they've been playing freeze tag, and they're all frozen. (laughs) And there's a a bow lathe behind them, like like a... a medieval bow lathe way back in the back. But they're just standing there. Yeah. Now, listener, dear listener, now that you know these three gentlemen are standing behind Bella in the grass in this scene, you must go and look at them. You can't unsee them You now. can't unsee them once you see them. And then in a minute, they have a jaunty fourth friend who shows up with the most egregious mullet ever. It's, it's, he's, he's got gray but it looks pink in the sunlight. Mullet. It's like a Sammy Hagar mullet. Yeah. (laughs) It's just bad. And still, they're like, um, we're acting, aren't we? Uh, uh, Whenever I see somebody really awkward like that, kind of in the background of a show like like Midsummer, I always think they must have won a contest and they got to be an extra. And they don't know what they want. They won a standing and staring at the camera contest. They're so ominous and weird. Cully leaves the big house with Ed and they lock the door. And there's a Dutch angle shot there that I know my favorite cameraman did. Okay, you just went Greenland. Dutch angle is from the ground up. No, Dutch angle is off center. It's oh, a, where a, everything looks tilted? Yes, okay. and usually to imply mental illness. But there's also ground up Yeah, it's also kind of ground at up. At Greyfriars a lot. Yeah. It's to make the house look big and ominous. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a badly damaged hand, and we find out, first of all, we find out that Nico suggested that Cully do this. Now, let's go back a second. This book that Cully's writing, and I'm going to put book and writing in quotes here, is about the Costin Playhouse. Yes. 
okay, she has dropped the lead because the book that she should be writing about the costume playhouse is about how the director went insane and killed a bunch of people. There is a story there. But no, she's writing a history. What is the market for this book? Uh, the gift shop of the Costin Playhouse? I guess. And the I'm... two people who might buy it there? And Nico suggested this. Did Nico suggest this as he drove by the apartment in London? <laughs> as he was like, um, you ought to go visit your parents and write a book. Bye. My boyfriend, <laughs> my boyfriend Nico suggested this. He's the one I spend no time with. <laughs> I think Nico's just perfected how to get rid of Cully. At the tent, the vet, and I know we're in a minutia already in this episode, but the vet mentions pancake races. <laughs> yeah, so what the hell is a pancake race? So, first of all, it's on Shrove Tuesday, which is oh, Pancake, pancake Tuesday. Tuesday. Okay. And the reason why pancakes are served on Pancake Tuesday is you put all the stuff that you can't eat on Lent into one meal, which is pancake. Sugar, water, uh butter, milk, all of that sort of stuff. Okay. Okay. Anyone who has had the pleasure of a pancake race before, here are the basics, okay? It is a food preparation sporting event. Performed every February, you run a relay race in which you have to flip the pancake in a pan as you race. So you have to run to a certain point, stop, flip your pancake, and then are allowed to move on by the judges. Okay. Now, the pancake is already cooked in most races, but these races happen all over the country of Britain on Pancake Tuesday. Okay. <laughs> these are not pancakes anybody wants to eat, no, right? Okay. No, 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 no. <laughs> I just... When I get when I get stuck in confusion, I just I just think about Marcus tooting at Wendy Whistle. Speaking of Marcus, he pulls Barnaby and Troy aside and says, uh, "You're don't, you're don't not going to sink the, uh, us. The here. murderer, are you? Right? Like, <laughs> I'm like, dude, it's all going to go south in a second it, here. You're doomed. You're not going to get perfect village. You are not getting perfect village. No. And Joyce has given up all the dirt." On the other judges. Barbara's got the band going as loud as possible. And Ray and the gardener have this weird encode conversation. And I wonder if Ray, Ray is gay. What what do you mean? What's because it, what's he talks code? about his garden and it's important to have a nice patch. And they they hit that word patch. And I think it's uh, there's an implication that we're not getting there. Oh, that's not how I saw it at all. I saw it as um, Ray was trying to like butter up to the judges and, and he's like, oh, I really like your show. And then Frank puts him on the spot and says, do you have a garden? And, that's Ray, probably and it. Ray's like, I got a little patch. Yeah, that's probably it. Like he's embarrassed that he doesn't have a real garden. But I'm sorry. A garden a guy who runs a gardening show has got to know that not everybody who watches this show has a garden. Right. So Ray should have just said, no, but I wish I did. Exactly. <laughs> Bella gets sick. Somebody says, I'm dying here. Yeah. Foreshadowing. Yeah. She drinks from the glass, and Bella drinks from the glass, and Bella's drink gives her slow-mo. And spinny. And yet she's smart enough to hit the wine table. It's Bella's Bella's nutsy bobo. Like she's really a homicidal nutsy. maniac, but she's but not she, stupid. But she's smart. Yeah. And then the editor's dead. Rosemary's dead. Toby's on the scene. Because he shows up 
like five seconds after somebody dies. And as soon as he looks at her, he's like, it's cyanide. She's pink. Did you know one in four people can't smell it? And Bella only had one sip. Like, you put cyanide in that whole bottle. Yeah. And Rosemary only had a sip because she thinks it's gross. Yeah. She takes one swig, puts the glass back on the tray. Yeah. The kid carrying the tray, by the way, his name's Jack. That's Anthony Horowitz's son. Oh, there we go. Mm-hmm. He has a line or two. His first name is Cassian. Yeah. Cassian Horowitz. He's got a line or two. Yeah. So this is one of those one of those episodes with a little nod to the people behind the camera, I think. Yep. Um, so we go to the vet's house. But Oh, it's okay. I was just freaking you out. Because Laura accuses Gordon in front of Troy. Did you kill her? Yeah. So they was have it to, you? They have to have a conversation. Clearly, Laura's on edge. I'm freaking out. You killed him. Get out of my house. <laughs> I yeah, you can't you can't blame him for kicking her out, but I think freaking her out in the way he did is a little weird. Now, this episode is tight, right? Mm-hmm. It clicks along at a great pace. But sometimes when that happens, people get lost. Yeah. Jack gets completely lost. Well, he's in jail now. He's gone. They've Laura, arrested him. After this point, Gone. Well, he kicks her out. She's gone. Yeah. Laura and Gordon have the busiest kitchen ever. Did you notice that? There's yeah. not a square inch on their fridge that isn't covered in stuff. Uh, he's got streptomycin stuff on there or something. Lepidopterous. Lepidopterooney. <laughs> uh, he says, oh, it was just cat blood on my pants, and that's a chain that I bought. So, ha ha, I tricked you. You think I'm a killer. Get I know out of my you're house. a cheater. Get, Get out. out of my house. Yeah. And she's okay. like, oh. But where are Tom and Troy? They're at the print shop. The police print shop. And the police have printed a fantastic Judgment Day tent Tent map. map. Yep. And not just printed a nice uh, map, but they've placed colored stickers on the layout to indicate where each person was. And at the top, someone has very carefully drawn ruler lines... To read. So they could put Midsummer Mallow in perfect script in just the right size. It looks like something a second grade teacher would make. Yeah, it does. It, uh, the, this show has done fantastic materials, but that Judgment Day map is a little bit of a letdown. Yeah, but, but it's, they it, figure it, it out. It works. It's a tool. They figure out that Samantha Johnson is the target. So what is the theme of this episode? Oh, yeah, the cops arriving just after somebody dies. Because Samantha at that moment, is freaking out. <laughs> She's getting the hell out of town because she knows exactly what's going They're on. They're coming for me. <laughs> and but, they, but wait a minute. meaning Bella. I need to make a phone call to Gloucester. Gloucester. God, I had to spell that word twice. There's a <laughs> knock at the door. Oh, I should get, oh, I'm dead. Wait a minute. Frank is leaving. I'm yes. out of here. She's, no autographs. No, she's dead up there. Go. <laughs> and she's stabbed. They're a little late. <laughs> She's probably still like warm. <laughs> and she gets stabbed in the kidneys. I think she could probably be still alive. I don't know. I don't know if she's really using her kidneys anyway. She's awfully drunk all the time. I don't know, but Bella's running around with a knife again. Yeah. Where does Bella get that knife? And I, I'm not, I don't really know how she manages to slip into the hotel. Because the last time we saw her was sick in bed at home. Yeah. So I guess Marcus leaves her thinking she's asleep. She gets up, creeps over to the hotel, kills Samantha, goes back, gets back in bed to look peaceful again. Yep. Okay. Joyce is interviewed basically by Troy and Barnaby at this point in time. She reveals about Sebden Manor. And then we have a touching scene where Marcus is going to give some pills to his wife. He's very sweet. 
He is. And I think she loves him too. And he goes, you gave me a scare. Mm-hmm. And what he actually means is, are you a homicidal maniac? I think you are. Again? Yes. <laughs> Everything will be all right. Has the screamy kill come back, honey? Yes. Yes. Screamy. Okay. <laughs> they go to Sebden Manor and meet with Dr. Mark Sellers. Who has mild dyslexia. He calls Troy Tory. I guess. <laughs> get that and basically does nothing but give exposition yeah and and then tom is like for once cully was right (laughs) oh we gotta get all the way back because there was probably more people dying as we speak and cully's going to be attacked by a woman with a knife who is in no way related to what's going on well it's jane rochelle and good makeup here her hands and her face it's good makeup ah the face is pretty good. The hand is pretty bad. She's played by Sheila Frazier, who is Aunt Beru. Aunt Beru. Luke's aunt. Oh my gosh, you're right. That's Luke's aunt. She Luke, should be... Luke Skywalker's aunt. She should be serving green milk. She should be on Tatooine. Yes. Why? Did you get burned on Tatooine? <laughs> it was a droid. The droid did it. There's more Star Wars crossovers to come up in later episodes, but that's the first. Yeah. She's Aunt Beru. Okay. You wouldn't know it with all that makeup. It is It is pretty good makeup for Midsummer. Yep. Yeah. Troy and Barnaby arrive to talk to Marcus. Cully just walks into the Allardyce home. She just walks into Greyfriars. After he made a big deal about locking the door. Privacy and all that stuff. Yeah, I know she left her problems. I know she left her tape there, but I think Cully would be a bit more respectful of that, and she would think, I'll come back later. I think so, too. But maybe since the door's open, maybe she thinks something's wrong. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. I didn't like it. Hey, guess what? What? Annabelle's Bella. I had no idea. Didn't you know that? Dun, dun, dun. Marcus tells the truth. Tells how he he answered a lonely heart's ad, and he loves her. Yeah. Of course he knew about what had happened, and he forgives her. He He's like, you know, he's so accepting and loving. Well, what she did when she was little has no bearing on their relationship, so he doesn't he doesn't care about that. But now he knows that she's at it again. And not only is she at it, but so she killed Peter. She killed Samantha. She accidentally killed Rosemary. She was willing to poison herself. Yeah. Like she's got a taste for it again. It's she's not right. No. And Bella does some great acting here in the reenactment of him, of her killing Legolas. Oh, my God. She's like, <laughs> she's like, <laughs> and then like two seconds later, her face goes. Oh. Yeah. It's like, good crazy face. It's good crazy face. Samantha had to go. Gotta destroy evidence. Because it's, Marcus knows that if they found out that Bella did it with her history, she would go into an asylum. Yeah, he says and he you'd knows, have put her back in the bin. And he knows she wouldn't want to live that way. So he decided what he was gonna do. He gave her a bunch of sleeping pills and then he put a pillow on her face. Two shows in a row, pillow face. Mercy killings with yep. pillow face. Yep. Poor Marcus. So is Marcus going to go to prison, you think? I think Marcus is going to probably go to prison, but he might be able to afford a good lawyer. Maybe he can share a cell with Jack. Maybe. (laughs) Then there's a weird scene at the end where Cully explains the whole Jane Rochelle thing, and then they make fun of Joyce, and then it's just as well. It's mean. It's mean to Joyce. What do you mean they make fun of her? She's like, the music was too loud. I didn't know what was going on. Because she thought that Samantha said the street, and what she said was the retreat. And that's cleared up, but I don't like how he talks to her. 
I like Joyce. So. I think he loves her, so it doesn't matter. So everything's all good except for uh, Marcus and Jack and Laura and all the dead people and the fact that you will not be winning the perfect village of the year. Oh, no. Those people doing the antler dance have a chance now. You killed two of the judges. <laughs> <laughs> one on accident and one on purpose, and it, it's still not good. It's, it's not good at all. No. <sighs> but this is... An episode at 11. I love this episode. I could watch it again right now. So I got, I got to tell you one more interesting thing here um, yep. that I forgot to tell you. And that uh, Hannah Gordon, who plays Bella, yeah, she was Marella Carney in the Jonathan Creek episode, Black Canary. So Maniacs, our next episode is episode uh, season three, episode four, Beyond the Grave, with the weepy, crazy picture lady and the haunted museum. Yes, dearest departed the lovely. I yeah. don't remember what she says. She's got it's, that mantra. Uh, it is David, dearest departed yes, dead or something. I don't know, but wow, it's another <laughs> batshit crazy episode. It's a really good one. Yeah. But so so we've had like uh you know Orlando Bloom getting pitchforked. We've had um you know knifed alcoholics in hotel rooms and uh, editors drinking bad wine and dropping dead. She the editor has some great face when she dies. She does. She does. But I got to give it to my man Legolas. You think he's the best corpse? I think he does a great... He has that big thing stuck in his chest, right? Yeah. And it's a pole. Yeah. So if he's breathing, that pole's like moving all over the place. It's not moving an inch. Yeah. And he's lying on the ground. I agree. Yeah. Peter Drinkwater is Corpse of the Week. Corpse of the Week. I agree with you on that one. So maniacs. You can reach us on Twitter at at Midsummer Maniacs and on Instagram at Midsummer Maniacs, or we're all over the Facebooks on all the groups and all over Reddit on the mids on our Midsummer Maniac uh, Midsummer Murders. Mm-hmm. So, if there was a different corpse that you thought was the best corpse of the week, maybe you thought um, Mrs. Foster slash Bundy was a better corpse than Peter. Let us know, or if there was anything else we missed, and if you have. You know, if you want to join the three creepy guys in the back fan club, I think I'm going to start it. You, you got to You got to look at those guys. <laughs> I will put a picture in the show notes, but you have to watch the scene. Yep, yep. A photo is not going to do them justice. It's not going to do them and, justice. And later on, we'll start rehearsals for the annual horn dance, I think. Yes. We should start doing that too. I think so. Let's go find a pig splatter. Okay. Sounds okay. good. Bye, maniacs. Bye, maniacs. tell you one more thing okay okay i'm sorry to interrupt that's all right i tried to figure out whether that was a real tattoo or not um but it's so common for those to be airbrushed out now that i I don't i couldn't find a photo that i could say yes he has it or no there's not a website that gives you celebrity tattoos not that i could find but you know in my long history of nefarious googling since we started making this show (laughs) 
I was Googling, you know, does Orlando Bloom have tattoos? Well, of course he does now. He has different ones, right? Yeah. But then I, you know, pictures of Orlando Bloom's stomach. Yeah. And that's more like his six pack, right? Yeah. And then it's like, no, no, below Orlando Bloom's <laughs> belly button. Because <laughs> it's really low. I'm like, oh, Mark's going to see this and wonder what I'm doing. Anyway, I... la, la, la. 